Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I'm really excited this morning because I know that God has so much more to say. And I just want you to open your heart this morning because the Lord has got some really rich things to deposit in us. And I want us to get the most out of that this morning. We've been learning in the last couple of months about who we are. And David um, started the year with a a series, This Is Us. This is us. And um, I'm trusting everyone has listened to those three messages. And if you haven't, can you please take the time to do that? Because they're really, really important. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Rich spoke about being Bible-believing, about the Word of God and the central importance of the Word of God for who we are. And this morning, I want to talk about being spirit-filled. And I just want to say something about um, why David has shared these things. Because David is the apostolic voice into this body. And um, if you read the book of Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that was in a lot of trouble. And he wrote to help them with everything. But towards the end of that book, he talks to them about things that are of first importance. And he brings them back to things that are of first importance because they'd lost their way. Now, we haven't lost our way, folks. But the principle is still the same, is that the apostle shows us what is of first importance for us. And David led us to three things that we need to think about, being filled with the Spirit, being Bible-believing, and being kingdom-advancing. And if you could sum us up in three things, it would be those things. They're all about Jesus. But those three things are fundamentally true about us. In fact, David said that they were fundamental and foundational. Fundamental and foundational. I've been thinking about that since. What that actually means when something is fundamental for us and foundational for us. And I think fundamental is talking about who we are. It's our core identity. Who we are, fundamentally. Who are we? We need to know who we are. We're living in a world where people don't know who they are. But we are distinct from that because we know who we are and we know who we are because God has told us and God has shown us who we are. He is the one who defines us, our role and purpose in this world. And it's foundational because it's how we build. Foundations are all about building and about security and about growth. And it's foundational for us, these things, because it is how we build up. And we build on eternal foundations. And that's really important right now. Because some some of the things that we looked at in the the series, uh, in those messages David talked about, were eternal principles. And some of them he described as eternal boundary stones. They must not be moved. And our overarching um, theme at the moment is, for such a time as this, the relevance of the message of the gospel for the culture in which we live. And here's the relevance of it. They are eternal principles that speak into every single age of mankind. That's right. Every single age of mankind. They don't change, but every age of mankind changes, and it has different values, it has different cultures, and it has different things that it regards as important. But the kingdom of God is founded on eternal values that don't shift and change over time, and they are true and relevant in every single age of man. What we have to be are people who are confident in that and not people who are feeling a pressure to be something that's just 
relevant to the world in a kind of trendy way. What I sometimes call coffee shop Christianity. It's nice, isn't it? The soft music playing, and it's a nice environment. And, and that's all great. I like nice music, and I like a nice environment, and I love coffee. But that ain't the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is founded on eternal principles, and it brings life. Yeah. Coffee does not bring life. It's great, but it doesn't, it's not a source of life. And the difference is this. We need to be those who bring into this world what is needed and not what is demanded. And that's the key for us. The principles of the kingdom are what is needed in every time and culture, but they are not always what is demanded by every time and culture. And we must be those that refuse the voice of the demand and actually deliver what's needed to the culture around us because that is the thing that will truly set people free. That is the thing that will liberate people and bring life wherever we go. Fundamental, who we are, and foundational. And that's why these things are of first importance for us. I want to unpack those a little bit more this morning. And I want to start by just looking at different aspects of fundamental and foundational. Because there's a corporate element to this. And when I say corporate, I mean all of us together. And there's a personal element to this, by which I mean you. You. Each of us have a personal element in this. And it's important that we understand both of those things and we understand that those things interact. Everything going on in your life individually right now is really important and the way that you handle and deal with those things will impact on how we together move forward. We must be part of a corporate body but we need to take personal responsibility. So I just want to consider the corporate aspect of who we are. I was thinking about this phrase, filled with the spirit and um, or spirit filled and I think there's a there's a sense in which we sometimes regard being spirit filled as um, let me put it this way as being uh, sometimes the analogy is used of, of plugging into the electricity mains and I've heard people talk about the spirit in that way you know like we're an appliance and until we plug into the spirit you know we're, we don't do anything or maybe a car that's empty on fuel, you know, and feeling that you need to get refueled by the Spirit of God. And it's not there's anything wrong with those analogies necessarily, but they don't tell the whole picture of what Spirit-filled means. And that's why I've called this message the house of the Spirit, because this is the house of the Spirit. We're not just a bunch of people who've been filled with the Spirit. This is his house. That's who we are. We are the house of the Spirit. He's the boss here. It's his house. And I just want you to turn with me to a few, we're going to turn to a few scriptures today, but we're going to start with Acts 1 verse 8. Acts 1 verse 8. Because right at the beginning, just before Pentecost, we learned something really important. The church learned something really important about who we are. I'm just going to read verse, we'll start at verse 4. This is after Jesus has been resurrected and he's been teaching the people of God on the kingdom of God. And he did that for 40 days. 
And then it says in verse four, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they needed to wait and do nothing but wait for the Holy Spirit. And then in verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And what Jesus was teaching them of first importance is that without the Holy Spirit, they could do nothing. Simple as that. If we can learn that one lesson, that without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing of value in the kingdom of God, that will really keep us on track, folks. Because history is littered with people who did know that and drifted away from that truth and thought, you know what, we got this. Simple as that. Started out with the direction of the Holy Spirit, started out recognising that the Spirit is the boss and this is his house, his rules, and he directs what happens in this house. But then over time, people can drift away from that and think, do you know what, I think we could do this. I think, I think we've kind of got the hang of this. We've got this, Lord. We'll ask for your input when it's needed. Now, nobody uses those kind of words, but do you know what, in our actions, sometimes that's what we can do. And, and when that happens, a movement of God amongst people can turn into a relic and can turn into just a religious group. And this country is littered with buildings representing people who are like that. They started out in the things of the Spirit and then they just turned to their own ways and decided, we can run things, we don't need the Spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and we go to verse 19. Because Paul here is talking about how the house of the Spirit is built. It says, so this is speaking to us as Gentiles, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that's Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And some translations will say in the Spirit, but by the Spirit. All of God is involved in this. Jesus is the cornerstone. The Spirit of God is the builder. He's the one that's constructing the house. It's his house. He's building it with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And it's a place, it's a temple of worship to God. So we have a picture of the house of the Spirit as being the place that he builds. And one of the things that David said back in January was that the house of the Spirit is saturated and impregnated. That word made me feel a bit uncomfortable, I'll be honest with you. But I I get the meaning. Impregnated with the power, the potential, and the possibility of the Spirit. And now that's exciting. Because when the Spirit builds the house, all those things are on the table. When the Spirit's in charge and directing the house, all those things are true. And in fact, Psalm Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. There ain't no point in building anything where the Spirit is not the builder and directs the building of the house. 
This is why it's of first importance for us. As for us in this house, the Holy Spirit decides. The Holy Spirit is in charge. And that needs to be something that's front and centre in our thinking for all of us together. But it also needs to be for us personally. It's foundational. It's fundamental for us corporately, but personally as well. Is that the Spirit is building this house. This house, this living stone is being shaped by the Holy Spirit. I've been thinking recently about um, how we think about the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest with you, when I think about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be a challenge mentally. Because you kind of, I, I can understand what a father is, I understand what a son is, I understand what he's done. The Holy Spirit, it's kind of difficult to get, put my finger on. He's a little bit elusive in some respects. But Jesus said to us, look, he's a friend. He's a comforter. He's a provoker. He'll come alongside you. And what we have to remember, this is Trinitarian doctrine now. All of God is in the Holy Spirit. He's not a bit of God. He's not a junior member of the Godhead. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So when the Holy Spirit is here, all of God is here. All of his authority, all of his power is here and present. He's not an add-on to anything that we do. And I was thinking about um, when I grew up, my first experience of Christianity was in an evangelical church. Now, the thing about the evangelicals is they love the word of God. And it was a great founding for me in the word and the importance and centrality of the word of God. But you know, before I'd even heard of the word of God, before I'd even picked the word of God up and read anything in the word of God, I met the Holy Spirit. David tells me this in the Psalms, that he's been watching over me all of my life. He knew all my thoughts from the very first thoughts. He was watching me and overseeing me in the womb of my mother. The Holy Spirit comes first. And the Spirit led me to the Word of God. But you know, in that environment, the thought that was nurtured was that the Word is the safe place and the Spirit is a little bit kind of iffy, not sure about the Spirit. So you have this sort of divergence of traditionally of evangelicals and charismatics. The evangelicals think, well, we're solid Word people. We don't do dodgy stuff. And the charismatics think, well, they're just dry, boring word people. We're the ones that are in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes a bit light on the word. But, you know, David reminded us, this is the sword of the Spirit. No, Rich reminded us, this is the sword of the Spirit. It's not word and spirit. This is what the Spirit has given us, the word of God. But it came from the Holy Spirit. I think I had... when I then um, grew up into my teens and then into my 20s, had to actually face the fact that sometimes the word can feel more comfortable. And I believe there's lots of people in the body that feel that way. I'm kind of comfortable in the word, but the things of the spirit make me feel a little uncomfortable. And I think what we have to do is challenge that thought process in ourselves. Some people it's not an issue, for lots of people it is. And I think sometimes we can then relegate the role of the Spirit in our lives to an add-on instead of him being the central part of our lives. 
He's the one that leads me. And everything that he says to me is in line with the word that he gave me. You see, there's no divergence, there's no contradiction between the things of the Spirit and the Word of God because everything that the Spirit directs us to do, he's already written in his Word. And he often uses his Word to direct us. We are people of the Word and of the Spirit. And I was thinking recently about my first experience of the Holy Spirit. I remember being baptised in the Spirit when I was a teenager But that wasn't my first experience of the Holy Spirit. I'd heard his voice before. I'd felt his influence before then. I just didn't know it. And then I started to think about all the things that have happened in my life. And the one person that witnessed all of those things was the Holy Spirit. He was preparing me to be a witness to Christ. But he first became a witness of my life. And if you think about everything in your life, everyone in this room has a different story, has had different experiences, and everyone in this room, nobody knows everything that you've been through. Your oldest friends. I have some people in this room I've known for 30 years, but I don't know all of their life, but the Holy Spirit does. I wasn't there for their first day at school, Holy Spirit was. I wasn't there when they maybe took their driving lessons or had their first car, had their first kiss. Was it okay to say that? The Holy Spirit was there. Not in a weird way. (laughs) Not in a weird way. But these are experiences that were formative for us and personal for us. But he was there. He was with us. There is nobody that will understand you better than the Holy Spirit. Literally no one. Not your spouse. Not your mother, not your father, not your best friend, the Holy Spirit. Every single thought you have, he knows it. He's been there, he's witnessed it. And do you know what that leads us to is a great liberation. Because he's God and he didn't run off. I'm not that horrible that God has run away from me. He's been with me, he's stayed with me and been faithful to me. And he's witnessed all of those things and he's my friend. And whatever I feel and whatever I'm facing... If I talk to the Holy Spirit about that, he will understand. And he may say to you, do you remember when you went through that 20 years ago? Do you remember that? Do you remember how you were feeling then? And do you remember what I said to you then? And how I brought you through that? Oh yeah, I'd forgotten that, Lord. I didn't forget it. I have a perfect memory. I'm living outside of time. So I can see it right now. And the Lord will remind us, the Spirit of God will remind us of things that we went through. What better friend could we have than that? But what's really important for all of us is that we have that personal relationship with him. That we make that personal connection with him. There is no one closer. There there is no one that will understand you better than the Holy Spirit of God. He's not scary. He's not weird. He's our friend. And he's our companion. And he's our comforter. And he gets us. That's really nice when someone gets you, isn't it? Because I think I'm weird. I don't think anyone gets me, really. Not even Ellie, and she's been at it a long time. She still thinks I'm weird. But you know what? Nothing phases the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm not surprised you said that. That's how wonderful he is. And for each of us personally, that's 
what we need to focus on is our relationship with him. Just turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13. And I just want to read this. So we're just going back a couple of books. 2 Corinthians 13, and this is the last verse of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And I think this was probably a, a common closing greeting amongst the early church. And right at the end of his greetings, Paul says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit has come and he's brought the fullness of Jesus. Jesus came and he brought the fullness of the Father. So the Holy Spirit carries the fullness of the Son and the Father and has brought them both to us. And it's interesting, when you look at the words that Paul uses here, he talks about the grace of Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, You've got Son, you've got Father, I believe he's talking about the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift to us. And the love of God the Father is a gift to us. But the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is different. It's not a gift that he gives us. It's the effect of him being here. That he comes here and we have what the Bible calls fellowship with him. Fellowship. It's a Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia. And it's used throughout the whole of the New Testament, and it's translated in different ways. There are three words used for koinonia. The first one I want to look at is communion. The second one, sometimes it's translated as community. And the third one is sometimes translated as contribution. Communion, community, contribution and this is the impact of the Holy Spirit being here amongst us being in us us engaging with him personally and recognizing the role and place that he has had in our lives and wants to play in our lives and this is what results koinonia it's called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit we are in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because he's here and he's brought the fullness of the Father and of the Son. So if you turn with me to Acts 15, 28. Now Acts 15 is, in your Bibles, it'll be headed up, the Jerusalem Council. And this was a, a really important meeting of the church because the problem, problem arose that there were some who were teaching um, throughout the churches um, that there are certain aspects of the law that Gentiles coming into the church would need to comply with first in order to then become Christians. Almost to embrace Judaism and all its requirements and then go on to be Christians. And this caused a real problem throughout the church. And therefore, there was a meeting in Jerusalem to discuss it and to say, what should we do? Big problem. And no, no, not necessarily any easy answers to it. But there's this verse right at the end, verse 28, where they then write out to the church with their conclusions. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit 
and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And the thing I want to focus on is these words, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. At the beginning of Acts, the apostles need to choose a replacement for Judas. So they draw lots, which when I first read that many, many years ago, I thought, that's really quite dodgy, isn't it? Who does that? We don't do that. We don't draw lots to choose who's going to do something. But that was their practice, and it was rooted in the Old Testament. But that was before the Holy Spirit came. That's right. When the Spirit comes, nobody needs to draw lots anymore because the Holy Spirit's in charge. And the Holy Spirit says, this is what's going to happen. By the time we get to Acts 15 in this council, these men and women are so well practiced in listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, what needs to happen in this situation? What do you want to happen? How do we build the house from this point? Because this is foundational and fundamental to who we are, where we go from here. This is going to impact the whole of the churches that have been established to date. And they were in tune with the Spirit so they could say, it seems good to the Holy Spirit to do things this way. And therefore it seems good to us. They didn't say, well, we think this is probably the best thing. And we checked with the Spirit and he's okay with it. He's fine. He He didn't seem out of sorts. He thought, yeah, yeah, you get on with that. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And I think what they, the implication here is, and therefore it seemed good to us. If he said this is what's going to happen, this is what's, what we're going to do. And that's really important. But in the aspects of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, what I want to look at is, in each case, the corporate aspect of that. But what underpins it is a personal aspect of that. So for each of these words rendered from koinonia, communion, community, contribution, there's a corporate aspect for us. But it's every time is underpinned by something personal, something individual for us. So this first one, communion, this is the, um, what was going on here, is that the, the body of people in the church had a communion with the Spirit, so they were attuned to the Spirit's ear, so they could say, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But what underpins that personally? in the individual lives of those men and women. Because they didn't just get there like that. There was a, in each of them, there was a, a spiritual life and a relationship with the Holy Spirit in order that they could say with confidence, this is what he wants. You couldn't speak on my behalf unless you knew me. If, if I was absent from a meeting that I'm supposed to be in with Rich, Rich could speak on my behalf because he'll have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to say, wouldn't you? Yeah. Same goes for Rich Pemberton. These guys know me. They could represent me, and I'd be happy for them to do that. It comes out of relationship. It comes out of hearing one another's hearts and knowing how we feel and think about things. And that same relationship is with us individually and the Holy Spirit. Just turn with me to Romans 8 and verse 14. Because Paul describes this relationship and... and what is fundamental about it? Romans chapter 8 is all about life in the Spirit. It's about what we've come into. And in verse 14, he says this. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of (coughs) adoption. Now he's being described as the spirit of adoption, not a small s, the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you notice how sometimes we talk about being heirs with him, but we leave off the suffering bit at the end. Did you notice that? We're just interested in part A of that verse. That's the key takeaway. I'm an heir, not a fellow sufferer. The Spirit of God is the spirit of adoption. So in our relationship with him, he reveals to us our sonship. Now, sonship is nothing to do with being male or female. Sonship is about inheritance. And the Spirit of God reveals to us what's happened when we came into Christ. All of us are in Christ together. And coming into Christ means... We come into everything that Christ has, his inheritance, everything that he's done becomes ours. And the Spirit of God comes and fills us and says, now I'm going to show you what that means. I'm going to show you who you are. Because fundamentally, you are now a son of God. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're a son of God. You are a true son. You're a child of the Father and a co-heir with Christ. And the work of the Spirit in our lives individually is that he shows us that. He reveals that to us. He shows you what it means that you are a child of God. And that means that you start to think about yourself very differently. Because being a child of God, there is no greater place in all of creation. There's no greater privilege in all of creation than being a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. And when we first come into Christ, we don't really see that. We kind of get it in very loose terms. But the fullness of understanding that, the richness of what we have and who we now are, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful? And it takes years. It takes years Because most of us have some problem with who we are. Has anyone in this room ever said at any point in your life, I'm really happy with who I am? I could not be happier with who I am. Of course not. We all feel deficiencies. There are all things that we don't like about ourselves and things that we feel insecure about in ourselves. What the Spirit of God does and says, I'm rewriting all of that. All of that's unimportant. This is who I've made you to be and I'm going to shape you and make you into the image of Jesus. You're still going to be you, but you're going to be a different expression of Jesus, different from everybody else in this body. You're going to express Jesus in a way that no one else in this room can. No one can come close to the unique expression and reflection of the glory of Jesus that I'm going to do in you. Now, suddenly I feel quite special. No one else has got what I've got. This is fantastic. I'm reflecting Jesus. But also, I then start to look at other people differently and say, do you know what? I'm looking at Paul at the minute. I don't know why, Paul, but I'm just looking at you. He is beautiful. I'm, I'm loving that beard, mate. I'm loving it. Paul, you have a unique representation of Christ. There's an aspect of his glory that's being revealed through you that no one in this room can do. 
And when I look at Mandy sitting next to you, Mandy's different again. And she's going to re reflect this glory in a different way. Yeah. And then when I look across the room, I'm seeing lots of people and I'm starting to see a big picture of Christ mm. in being revealed in different ways. But overall, I'm seeing Jesus. Yeah. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what underpins this relationship that we have as a body with him. Because we all bring that into being part of this body. That, that relationship with him and understanding the work of the Spirit in our lives. So when that gets joined together, there is a, a sensitivity to the Spirit that is building and growing. And we're able to navigate whatever God has got for us with that fine, finely tuned ear listening to the Holy Spirit. That is how we're being built and that's how we're growing. Second thing is this, community. So just turn with me to Acts 2.46. There's a word that repeats itself several times in Luke's writings. And um, Acts 2.46. Uh, what version have you got, Rich? New Living. Yeah, can you read it from the New Living for me? Can you just put this mic up for us? Come on, Rich. <laughs> I thought you got it memorised. Where is Acts? Okay. <laughs> We have to go through this time and again. <laughs> Elders' meetings are very long. <laughs> Between Genesis and Revelation isn't helpful. <laughs> Acts 2.46, yeah? Yep. Uh, they worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Wonderful. Doesn't that sound fantastic? There's a word there which is together. Yeah. And later on we find it in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Sometimes it'll say that all the believers were together and in one accord. And it's this Greek word, which is homothumadon. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Homothumadon. And it, it comes from two other words, and one of them means to rush along, to rush along. And the second word means in unison. And I kind of, when I read that for the first time, I thought of a um, three-legged race. And uh, if you've ever watched a three-legged race, you know, at, school, at a school sports day, and people are like this and all over the place and that, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's like two people that can run along, tied together, but never trip over each other, but are perfectly synchronised. And that's what the word means. Homothumadon. To rush along in unison. And I read this um, definition, which I just really loved. It says this. Um, the image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ church how wonderful is that do you know what it made me think of is when God talked to us about the wild flowers being added yeah. made me think about the garden with lots of different plants and God is the gardener cultivating it but there's also the picture of many instruments and the Holy Spirit directing all the instruments so that they are in concert together yeah. and moving forward in unison. That's what koinonia is, community. It's not a club, it's not an association, it's not a common interest. Are people filled with the Holy Spirit so that they move together, synchronised in one heart and one mind? What's that underpinned by for each of us we find in Philippians 2. So just turn with me to there. 
just after Ephesians, Rich, just in case. That's all right. So Philippians 2, this is a fantastic chapter. Well, I love Philippians, full stop, but this is a fantastic chapter. And, And Paul uses this word again. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, we've got this triadic formula again, by the way, any participation in the spirit, koinonia, Here he's describing it as participation in the spirit. Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. God's community is founded on people like that. It's underpinned by me taking the position that everybody in this room is more important than I am. Not of greater value, but of more important. That I put everybody in this room ahead of my own interests. And I, and I devote myself to your interests. Paul describes it this way at the end of the first letter to the Colossians. He says that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, i.e. mature. He says, I toil with all my energy. In other words, I'm giving myself so that all of you, when you meet the Father one day, you'll be as mature as you can be. And I'm going to give myself to help you in your journey of maturity. I'm going to give myself to help you in whatever God's got for you. I'm going to help you along the way. I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to be completely focused on helping you get there. And Paul says, if everybody in the body of Christ is like that, first of all, nobody's navel-gazing, which is great. I hate looking at my own navel. It's usually full of fluff. It's not a good place to be. Navel-gazing is not good. It enables us to focus on each other and building the house. Every living stone is looking at all the other living stones and saying, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Do you know what? If you're ever stuck in unhappiness with things about your own life, this is the cure. Stops you thinking about all that stuff. Just goes out the window. And what happens in the middle of all that, in the midst of you doing that, that activity, is that something emerges in you, which is your gift and calling. You don't find out your gift and calling by looking in yourself for it. You find it by looking out with at the body and saying, Holy Spirit, how do I help everyone else? You show me, what can I do? And the Spirit says, well, I put these gifts in you and I've shaped you with these experiences. Do you remember all those experiences we talked about where I was there with you? Yeah, all of that, I've been shaping that because I want you to do this in the body. Okay, now I know my place. And when I say I know my place, that's a negative statement in many, not in the kingdom of God, to know your place is everything. That's the place in the wall, in the building that the Holy Spirit has placed you as a living stone. It's snug, it's comfy. You're not out of your depth. You're not in a gap that's too big for you. You're not squeezed into a gap that's too small for you. You're in a perfect sized gap. And you're around, the stones around you, you are there to support them and to help them. That's what underpins our community. And we just read in um, uh, 2 Corinthians about the grace of Christ and the love of the Father. And those two things are really important in this, this personal aspect because the Holy Spirit will reveal to us the fullness of the grace of Christ. What do, what do we mean by that? 
In short, it means how filthy I was when he embraced me. Now, we have a perfect picture of this in the Word because Paul, who wrote so much in the New Testament, was very forthcoming about this, and he was on a journey of understanding just how filthy he was when the Lord first embraced him. So his revelation of God's grace grew and grew and grew. And he understood the depth of the grace of God. And what that does to a person, it enables you to live in just the way that Paul told the Philippians, loving other people in the body. When you understand how much you've been forgiven, then you can forgive others. And there's no place in this house for unforgiveness. Even the smallest amount is like poison. It spoils the vine like a little fox. And it's what the enemy uses. And the antidote is a growing revelation of the grace that's been given freely towards me. And a growing revelation of the love of God the Father that sent the Son in the first place to give me that grace. The work of the Spirit is to show us those things in increasing measure. And as that happens, this, people of, this body of people are living self-sacrificially and loving one another and forgiving one another. And the house functions as it should. The very last thing I want to say is this. Contribution. Koinonia. Contribution. Just look at Ephesians 4. This is one of our last scriptures now. Do you want to go back a book, Rich? Sorry, it's getting a bit old now, isn't it? Okay. The joke is that Rich has an encyclopedic knowledge of the word. So, um, so we'll read verse 16 of chapter 4. Now, let's go to 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you get that? When each part is working properly. How does the body grow? How does the body mature? That's not a trick question. When each part is working properly. That means me. I have a responsibility. What underpins that big picture is me saying, well, I'm one of those parts. I need to work properly. I need to do the right thing. I need to be giving myself to what God's got for me. And actually, back in Philippians, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's the Spirit of God who works in you to fulfill his purposes. Something like that. I've lost it now. That's the Chris Alton paraphrase. It's the Spirit of God that works in you, but we have a responsibility to work out, to work out our salvation. And that word Paul uses, it means to carry something to its final conclusion. It's called katasagomai. And it means when, um, when I was a kid at school and I did algebra, they gave me half of the equation and you've got everything you need to get the whole thing to work out the solution to the equation. And we've been given everything that we need, but we just need to work with it. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives personally. And what that results in is a contribution. 
our contribution to the body. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. This is our last scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. For building up. You know the key thing that I see in there? Three words. Each one has. Each one has. Whenever we come together, whether there's two of us or ten of us or hundreds of us, each one has. It's not that each one has a moment at the front to do something. Each one has a moment to move amongst the body with something. And koinonia also means a contribution. When we understand who we are, we understand our place in the body, when we've given ourselves to that, the natural result of that is a contribution has to come out. You you won't be able to contain it. Each one has a contribution and a unique contribution. And what we've just read in Ephesians 4 is, in order for the body to be built up, each part has to do its work. And that work is a contribution. And it will look differently for all of us. And we'll all contribute in different ways and it'll look very different. But that's the beauty and diversity of the body of Christ. Amen. And that's what the Spirit does. He directs all of that says, and moves people across the body because he knows all of us intimately and he's able to do that. Yeah. And that's the third aspect of it. You know, I just want to pray, just to close now. And... Um, I just want each of us, right now, just to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. We're just going to bring ourselves to a place now where we are open to hear his voice. I don't just mean now, but I mean we're going to get ourselves to a place where we are ready to listen to him. And Spirit of God, we recognise that this is your house. We recognise, Lord, that you direct the affairs of the house. Lord, we thank you for the relationship we have with you. And Lord, we want that relationship to go deeper. Lord, we want a greater intimacy with you. That you would shape us into the image of Christ. Lord, we want you to show us who we are. And how we fit into this body, Lord. Lord, help us in our hearts to understand the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father. And Lord, would you shape and change us, Lord, so that we would be able to function, Lord, just as Paul encouraged us to do, to put others ahead of ourselves and to give ourselves to building this house, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give us the confidence and the Ability to move with a contribution and to have security and comfort in knowing that you're moving and that the contribution matters in order that this body, this house, may be constructed. And Lord, we just pray in the days to come, would you just show us, Lord, any areas that may need change, Lord, where there's a greater need for intimacy, where there's a need for us to take responsibility, Lord. Holy Spirit, we say, show us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let his name be glorified through all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Now, I've got some homework for you. So we've, we've, we've drawn up a word to life. So this is already live. It's on LRC Grow. If you're not using LRC Grow yet, please start using it because we, everything is on there. It's really easy. De- even my mum is using LRC Grow. <laughs> so anyone in this room is capable of using LRC Grow. That's my conclusion from that. We've got a word to life that's gone up, ready for the life groups to use. And attached to that is a paper on koinonia, which expands a little bit more about these three C's and just explores the scriptures on it. And there's some things in there for us, all of us to consider about ourselves and how we're interacting as a body. Real nitty gritty stuff that will really bless you. So I want to encourage you to go on there, read the koinonia paper, get the word to life, and then in your life groups, just when you can find a time in the coming weeks, sit down and talk about that together and then go through the questions together. And I know it's going to be a fantastic blessing and a time when we can really open up to one another and help each other with these things so that God can make us all that we're here to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.